Last week we were looking at attitudes in ministry in this uh, series we've been on in, in submission. And there's a story I heard. I may have shared this with you. I didn't take the time to look this up. But there was a story of a man who had a, a brother, a brother-in-law, who was a game warden. And this, this guy could always catch fish. No matter where he went, he came back with all kinds of fish. And so the game warden, uh, not, he didn't want to go along as the game warden. He just wanted to go along as his brother-in-law. You know, where are you fishing? What are you doing? What is your tactic? How do you do this sort of thing? So he said, well, come on along with me tomorrow. So they got in the, the car. They drove on out to a lake that really is known for very poor fishing. And he got in the boat and they went out in the middle of the boat and the game warden was kind of taking note. He's not really looking for any kind of a shelf. He's not really looking for any kind of uh, log or uh, brush or anything underneath that the fish might gather around for food. He just parked himself out in the middle of the boat, didn't do anything with his rod and reel. And as he's getting ready for fishing, what, what in the world is this guy doing? And then he pulls out of his, his tackle box a stick of dynamite, lights it and throws it in the, in the, in the lake. Then after a while, the thing blew up. And shortly thereafter, fish started coming to the surface. Stunned fish, and he went around, and he started catching them. And the game warden, you know, he's a game warden. This is not, you're not supposed to do this. So he starts citing laws to him and regulations of how this is illegal. He cannot be doing this sort of thing. And so he takes a, another stick of dynamite, and he lights it, and he throws it to the other side of the boat where the brother-in-law is sitting. He says, are you going to talk or are you going to fish? Well, he saw that the fuse was getting a little lower on that stick of dynamite so the game warden took the stick of dynamite and threw it in the water <laughs> now i'm not sure if dynamite really blows up in water or not or how truthful that story is but we'll just assume that it that it was but there there are a whole lot of folks out there who'd rather talk than fish there's a whole lot of people out there who'd rather talk about ministry rather talk about god than actually do some ministry last week we were talking about attitudes in ministry and how quickly wrong attitudes can get in we didn't get to everything that we had in there to, to get into. We're going to uh, delve into some of that into here and then some other, other things. But we looked at David. We saw that David had 400 men. And do you remember what the characteristics were of the 400 men that came to him? Everyone who was in debt, everyone who was in distress, or in, in distress, everyone who was discontented, they all came to David. And he became captain over them. Now, it never says that David was in debt, that he was in distress, or that he was discontented. He just became captain over people who were. 400 of them. Eventually, 200 more were added to him. He had 600 men. He would go around. And these, out of these men came the 30. We looked at the 30. We looked at some of the... We didn't look at all of the 30. But we looked at some of the characteristics of these guys, and they were incredible. This is where the story Rambo came from, I'm sure. <laughs> who was it who started Rambo? I forgot to... Uh, oh, is it West Alone? He's a, he's he's born again Christian, isn't he? Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, he, maybe he probably read it then he got the whole whole job. I don't know where it came from. Anyway, there's a whole lot of Rambo's in the Bible, and they were killing all kinds of folks for the uh, they were enemies of God. And we saw that these folks who were distressed, in debt, discontented, became extremely good folks. And when David came to the throne, he needed people he could trust. He needed people he could rely on. And the only people he had to pick from, because he's been out of Israel for years, the only people he had to pick one from were the people who traveled around with him, these 600 men. And we saw that some of those became captain of his army, generals in his army. Some of them became counselors. Some of them became high up in the area 
of, of what he was doing. This is where he picked them from. But we also saw that out of the 600 men, not all of them rose to the top. Mm-hmm. That some of them were still called worthless. Because there was a story that we looked at last week where David came back to Ziglag and it was burned with fire and they pursued the folks who had done it. And as they were pursuing, 200 men became too tired to go on and they stayed behind and 400 went on after that. And uh, they went and they had the great victory and they brought back everything that they lost. Everything. There was not a single thing lost. Probably even had some extra stuff because these folks had raided other places. And they brought that back. And when the 400 joined up with the 200, the, David wanted to give them all a share in everything that was brought. But it says that worth, some of the worthless and wicked men among them, that some of them never got higher than where they were. Even though they were around David, even though they were in the same atmosphere that these other came from and did great exploits, did great things, despite that, some of them did not rise above where they were. Where you rise in the area of ministry is not dependent on who is over you, who you serve under, or what opportunities you are given. It is completely dependent on you. And the sooner we realize how much it depends on us, and the less it does on other people, the better we can do, and the greater places we can go to. Well, we want to look today at, a, at another area. Well, we gave you this. I want to review this with you, too. We gave you four attitudes to keep in focus. How many kept those attitudes in focus this week? The first one was remembrance. Told once and do many times instead of told many times and do only once, if at all. Make sure you keep things in remembrance. That's an attitude. That's an attitude that says, I will remember the things that I'm told to do. Diligence. Am I doing what needs to be done, what I want done, what I feel should be done, instead of what is desired that I do? That's diligence. What does God's word say? Well, I think he really means this. No, you want it to mean that. And that's what therefore is going to mean that to you. What does God's word say? Do what it says. Joy. That's an attitude in ourselves. Make sure whatever you are doing, you stay joyful in it. That is up to you. The Word of God, we've talked about joy before, but the Word of God shows us over and over again, joy is up to us. It's not up to the atmosphere we're in. It's not up to the economy. It's not up to the, uh, whatever conditions we're in, our workplace, our boss. Our joy is completely up to us, whether we open up to God's joy being in us or not. Stop blaming other people for it. And the other one was serve our attitude towards others. So anyway, that's what we looked at. Last week, as we've been in this series on submission. But we're going to take a look at a, a person you may know of. We were going through the book of Acts. We spent a little bit of time on this guy. His name is John Mark, or John, is, as, uh, his surname is Mark. And in verse uh, 12 of Acts chapter 12, it says this. So when he had con- considered this, he came to the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose surname was Mark, where many were gathered together praying. This is the first time we see him show up. And he shows up because his mom's there. His mom's a prominent person in the church. They had... Um, she had a house. She had people over in the house. They would gather there and pray. And this is the atmosphere that John Mark had, had grown up in. In verse 25, And Barnabas and Saul returned from Jerusalem when they had fulfilled their ministry, and they also took with them John, whose surname was Mark. Now, how John got to go with them in ministry is simply this. He is the nephew of Barnabas. We'll see that in verses. If, you don't, if you're not familiar with that, we'll see that in the verses that come up here later on. But just know for this part, 
that Barnabas has his nephew and Barnabas wants to bring him along. Paul is probably not caring whether he comes along or not. We need to bring somebody along and Barnabas recommends him. So, all right, upon your recommendation, Paul probably brings him along. And John Mark goes with him. Acts chapter 13, verse 1. Now in the church that was at Antioch, there were certain prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who's called Niger, uh, Lucius of Cyrene, <clears throat> Manaen, who, was, who has been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. As they ministered to the Lord and fasted, the Holy Spirit said, Now separate to me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then hearing, that, no, I'm sorry, then having fasted and prayed and laid hands on them, they sent them away. So being sent out by the Holy Spirit, they went down to Seleucia, and from there they sailed to Cyprus. And when they had arrived in Salamis, they preached the word of God in the synagogues of the Jews. They, had also, they also had John as their assistant. <coughs> now he came as the assistant. What does an assistant do for Paul and Barnabas? We never find that John preaches, that John teaches, that John does anything. So I would assume he's in the assistant role like the disciples were. When Jesus was ministering, do we have any account when Jesus said, Peter, will you take this meeting? No, if Jesus was there, who, who preached? Jesus did, not Peter. So Peter, James, John, all those guys, what are they doing? Well, to bring it as modern day as we can, they're setting up chairs. They're taking up offerings. They're welcoming new people. They're showing folks where they need to go to get whatever it is, handing out water bottles, you know, all this sort of stuff, helping out with the crowd control, whatever Jesus needs, they're getting that. They're, they're tending to all these kind of things while Jesus is doing the, the ministry. They're handling prayer lines. They're getting the sick people up there. They might even be catching. Don't know. But they're, in, they're, they're doing these sorts of things. Now, there were times when Jesus commissioned them to go out and lay hands on the sick, cast out demons and stuff. But they did this apart from Jesus, didn't they? Jesus, he sent them out, and then they came back. So when they're with Jesus, Jesus is the one ministering, so they're in an assistant role. And John Mark is probably doing something along those lines. He's probably helping them out with setting up the chairs, setting up the meetings, going to different things, telling people around, knocking on doors maybe. Hey, we've got a meeting going on down over here. Paul and Barnabas are here in town. You might want to come on out. And if you have any sick people, he's probably going around door to door telling folks about this. We don't know. We have to, to uh, surmise what it is that he's doing. But whatever they needed him to do, he was there to do it so that they wouldn't have to and they could focus on the ministry at hand. So he's their assistant. Now, verse 6. Now, when they had gone through the island of Paphos, they found a certain sorcerer, a false prophet, a Jew whose name was Bar-Jesus, who was with the proconsul, Sergius Paulus, an intelligent man. This man called for Barnabas and Saul and sought to hear the word of God. But Elimus, the sorcerer, so his name is translated, withstood them, seeking to turn the proconsul away from the faith. Then Saul, who was also called Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, looked intently at him and said, O fool of all deceit and all fraud, you son of the devil, you enemy of all righteousness, will you not cease perverting the straight ways of the Lord? And now, indeed, the hand of the Lord is upon you, and you shall be blind and not see, not seen for the son of, for a time. And immediately a dark mist fell on him, and he went around seeking someone to lead him by the hand. Then the proconsul believed when he saw what had been done, being astonished at the teaching of the Lord. Now when Paul and his party set sail for Paphos, they came to Perga in Pamphylia, and John departed from then, returned to Jerusalem. Now think back to verse, or chapter 12. Who's in Jerusalem? His mama. He goes home to mom. 
Why? Because he got scared. He was supposed to be with them for the entire time of ministry. They took him along to be the assistant. He gets to the first couple of places. All we have is an encounter with this bar Jesus and this sorcerer. And it doesn't even seem like it's that strong of an encounter. Paul stood up to him, backed down. People believed. That's what's supposed to happen. People believed that things happen, miracles happen. And he gets scared and leaves. Now, from here on out, it gets worse for Paul and Barnabas. Ministry gets tough. There are going to be some, some, some nasty riots, all kinds of occasions. People are going to be upset. You're going to have a time when they're ready to sacrifice to them as gods and the next day ready to stone them. This is the kind of stuff they were going through. They hadn't gone through that yet. And John hightails it out. This does not leave a good impression with Paul. He's not happy about this. Because now whatever John was doing, they have to do. Plus the stuff they were supposed to do. Now Paul's not liking this. I'll bet you there's a bit of a discussion. Barnabas, you recommended this guy. He just hightailed on us and we're just getting started. Where'd you get this guy from? Did God really tell you to bring him? Or is this your idea? Can you see this kind of stuff going on? Because it's his nephew. But they go on, they they minister and they they do things. But John did not have the right attitude in ministry. And he hightailed it out of there. He, he, He went away. Well, that's not a good thing to do. And Paul remembers this. So, um... We put in your outline there, John goes on the first missionary journey and John leaves the first missionary journey before the first missionary journey is over. He's out of there. Now, there are three types of ministry. This is something they had in the last one, but we we were kind of short on time and I cut this part of it out. It wasn't in your outline, so you didn't even know that I cut it out, but I did. There are three types of ministry, as far as I can tell, uh, when I look at all the things that are out there. Three types. We're not talking prophets and teachers and stuff like that. Three types of ministries here. The first one is those that can develop a person's attitude. How many of you all know when you first got born again, when you first got called by God, your attitude was not great? Will you admit that? You had a bad attitude. You didn't know you had a bad attitude, but you had a bad attitude. Now, some of you may say, well, I used to have a bad attitude, but I don't have a bad attitude anymore. Here's a real good test. You ever see the, how many have ever been involved in water chemistry tests? Maybe like a pool. Anybody ever test water in a pool? You know how you test water in a pool? It's so much easier than a fish tank. I'll tell you what, it's so much easier than a You you take a little strip and you go over to the pool and you dip it in and you pull it out and it changes colors. And you take the color, you put it next to the chart and it says your chlorine's okay, your pH is okay, this is not, this is, and, and, and then you make changes based on that. Now there's more accurate tests than those things, but it gives you at least enough of a ballpark that gets you, you know, so this is kind of that kind of a test. Just kind of dip it in and see what happens. Here, here is how you can tell if your attitude with God is good or how good it is, because it's not just good or bad, there's all kinds of levels in between. Here's a real easy way to tell. When you wait on God for something, how long can you wait for? Can you wait an hour? If you can wait an hour, you're, you, you didn't come up very well on that, that test. You, uh, you pretty much failed it. If you can wait a day, no, you're still failing. If you can wait, make it through a whole week and not get mad at God for not answering your prayer or doing whatever it is that you asked for, if you can wait a whole week, you failed. 
If you can wait an entire month of waiting for God to answer your request or to come through for you, how many are expecting to at least get a C? No, you failed. You failed. If you can wait an entire year for God to come through on your prayer, now we're getting into some serious stuff, right? You failed. Yeah, there's verses on this too, you know that? How long did Abraham have to wait for the baby? (laughs) 25 years since God promised it, but in reality, 100 years. Over the course of that time, did his attitude get poor? (laughs) All right, have it the first time God comes to him after he promised him a a child. What did Abraham say? What are you going to do for me? I don't have a kid yet. Is that a good attitude? That's not a good attitude, no. How are you going to bless me with my, the heir to my house is so-and-so in Damascus? That, was, that wasn't working with God. That, that, didn't, that did not get him to the place of faith, right? That, that's not good. When he finally got to the place where he was not getting upset because the promise was still not realized, the promise came. How long did Moses wait to become the deliverer of Israel? At least 40 years, but he was 80 years old by the time it happened, right? 40 years, we know he had the calling then. He waited at least 40 years for for that. His attitude wasn't so good, though, was it? He's kind of angry at God and mad at God, and God dealt with him. Folks, we have to get to the place where I don't care how long God takes. I'll be fine. Remember the verse in Scripture? Though he slay me, yet I will serve him. You have to get to this place where God, I'm just believing that what you said is true. A bad attitude comes in because I want something different than what I have. Can you have a bad attitude without wanting something different than what you have? Why do we get a bad attitude at work? Because I feel like I should be paid something different than what I am. I feel that I should have a better boss than what I have. I feel that I should have better co-workers than what I have. I feel like I should have better hours than what I've got. I feel that people should respect me more than they do. Isn't that why we get a bad attitude? You cannot get a bad attitude if you're, you're, you're doing fine in patience. Bad attitude comes because I've run out of patience. How does faith work? Of course, it works by love. There's one other factor in it. Patience. Patience. Faith and patience go hand in hand. Got to have patience, folks. We got to be willing to wait on God coming through. Why hasn't God come through? Perhaps it is. Now, here's the thing, folks. Our attitude has to be developed, but I don't know what it has to be developed for. Do you know exactly where you'll be in 10 years, 20 years from now? You do not know what God has to prepare you for. But God knows what he has to prepare you for. And it's more important that you get prepared to get there than you getting there. Because if you get there and you aren't prepared, you will fail. So it's more important that you get prepared to get there than that you get there. For most of us focus on the getting there. And we become impatient 
and we get a bad attitude because I'm not getting there. You know, when we were kids and we're driving to, to vacation spots, what's the thing we would say as kids in the back? Aren't we there yet? Right? <laughs> because we are impatient. I want to be there. I don't want to be here. I want to be there. And no matter how fast transportation gets, it's still it's not getting us there now. I want to get there. I want to get there now. So there's three types of ministry. Here's the first one. Those that can develop a person's attitude. Remember the parable, everyone receiving one talent? One person went out and they made ten. One person went out and made five. One person went out and buried it. Who was he happy with? The guy got ten, the guy got five, but not the guy who had one because his attitude was wrong. He focuses a lot on attitude. Now, outside of ministry, how does one develop in ministry? <laughs> right? Outside of doing ministry, how do you develop in ministry? Is it possible to develop in ministry without being in ministry? Is it possible to become a better swimmer without jumping in the pool? Is it, better, is it possible to become a great surfer without jumping in the ocean? In order to get better at something, what do you have to do? You have to do it. You've got to do it. So there has to be some ministry out there for people with bad attitudes. There has to be some ministry out there for people to do who are caught up in sin. Well, amen. Because if there's not, how will you get developed? God is not sitting here waiting for you to become perfect before he uses you in ministry. Nor is he waiting for you to become perfect in your attitude before he will use you in ministry. But to get to the ministry that he wants to get you to, some of that stuff we were talking about last week, he can't until your attitude is right. So he has areas of ministry he can put you in to help expose bad attitudes and help work them out of you. Have you ever tried ministering to someone who just drives you nuts? Welcome to ministry. You know what that does? That exposes bad attitudes and deals with them. You know why we get, ex- you know why we get tired of people, certain people in, when we're ministering to them? Because they're not doing what we want them to do as quick as we want them to do it. Think about this in driving a car. Now, this is, this is still an area I, w- I work in sometimes, you know, driving the car out there. I get really irritated with stupid people. I don't know why they're being stupid in front of me. I just know that they're being stupid. Have you been behind those people? I was out driving, I think it was sometime last week, one day, one day, and in one 30-minute trip, five people did some of the most stupid things I had seen on the road for weeks in one, in one morning, just driving around. Now, you all, how many of you do this? Like I do, I do this all the time. I talk to the car in front of me. They don't hear me. It's not helping. But I still talk to them, right? Why did you do that? They're not answering me. They're not telling me why. <laughs> why we do that anyway? Why we do that is because the person in front of me is in my way from keeping me doing what I want to do. Right? My patience is affected. When my patience is drained, what happens to my attitude? Becomes bad. Becomes bad. Because my patience became became low but it shows up in my attitude and we have to make sure we we take care of some of these things 
because uh, there are always going to be stupid people, and folks, we have sometimes been those stupid people. But we know why we did those stupid things, so there's a good reason for it. <laughs> yeah, I don't know how that is. Put this in your outline for you. If you see it, the ministry that you're in, if you see it as beneath you, you won't develop anything but a bad attitude. If you see the ministry that God has given you, that God has put you in for now, as, as uh, anything like beneath you, why am I having to do this? It will not develop any kind of good attitude in you at all. It will develop more bad attitudes. And how can God move you on? Because you're in a ministry right now, possibly, that can develop your attitude. And you're refusing it because you want something different. If you are joyful, good will result. Whatever ministry we are in, we must maintain the attitude of joy. Got to. If we lose the attitude of joy, our patience will run down and our attitude will go bad. That is just how it will go. We've got to make sure that we stay joyful. Our patience level will be higher. If you are having a good time, how many of y'all know you can endure a lot more stuff? <laughs> it's when we're not having a good time that it gets to be a struggle. Maintain the joyfulness and what you're in will be a whole lot easier. All right, that's the first area of ministry. These are areas of, of ministry you're in and they're just really there to help you develop your attitude. These are things that need to get done. Ministering, a lot of times one-on-one, helping people over some things, helping people see some things in the Word, enlighten them on the truth that you know in the Word of God, going over and reaching out to them, helping out. There's all kinds of ministries like this we can do. God will lead you into it. It's not always in the forefront. Somebody doesn't always call on you in the Sunday morning church service to do something. But there's ministry opportunities out there. There's things for you to do. And you maintain joy in that. You are developing the right attitude. And when you develop the right attitude, God can move you into other things. So now we have the ones that are, these need one more seasoned. We can't just put people in here who have a bad attitude you can maybe put some people in here that are still working on some things in their attitude, but they have to at least make some advances. Here is Acts chapter 6, chapter 1. Now in those days when a number of the disciples was multiplying, there arose a complaint against the Hebrews by the Hellenists because their widows were neglected in the daily distribution. I know this is hard to believe, but in churches it used to be people complained. It's hard to believe that went on, but it, did, it used to go on. Thank God we've gotten past that, right? <laughs> Then the twelve summoned the multitude of the disciples and said, It is not desirable that we should leave the word of God and serve tables. Now, therefore, uh, therefore, brethren, seek out from among you seven men of good reputation, full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom, whom we may appoint over this business, but we will give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the word. So we have this in-between ministry. We need to stay in this area where we're doing because not everybody is stepping into this. God's not putting everybody in, but God put us into it. We need to stay here. We need other people who can come along and do this important area of ministry so that we can keep doing this area of ministry. But we need people that are not novices. We need people that have, some, have been developed. So he said, go find seven men that are full of the Holy Spirit. What do you say? Uh, uh, seven, seven men of good reputation, full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom. Three things. Good reputation, full of the Holy Spirit, and wisdom. Take those guys, put them in this spot. 
and let them do it. And they did. And most of those guys went on to do other things. Now, many feel qualified for this level of ministry. But until people around you in ministry feel you are, you are not. (laughs) That's a hard one for us sometimes to buy into. They were told, pick seven. How many of y'all know there are about 150 who wanted to be there? Pick me. Pick. I am full of the Holy Spirit. I am full of wisdom. (laughs) I'm the guy. Come on. I got a great reputation. Pick me. Oh, pick me. Pick me. You got a lot of people who want it. He said, pick seven. So they went around to pick seven. Don't you know that number eight on the list was greatly disappointed? This, this is double. Can't, why, can't we just add another one? Many feel qualified for this level of ministry. And see, this is where that bad attitude will be exposed. Can't believe they didn't put me in that. I should have been one of those seven people. Look at how Stevens is just, people are recognizing him, people are doing stuff with him. Oh, that should have been me. That should have been me. I'm full of more Holy Spirit than Stephen was. I got more wisdom than Stephen does. Why in the world didn't they pick me? And see, what's that doing? It's exposing a bad attitude, and that's why you weren't picked. (laughs) You cannot have thoughts like that and be qualified. The people that are qualified are saying, those are good selections. Man, those guys, they're going to do a good job. Mm, That's what they do. And they just go on, and, and, and this is fine. But you see, the bad attitudes come in because I should have been. That should be me. I should be doing this. And, we, and it comes in. Now, those things don't just come because we're thinking of them. The enemy comes in. He's trying to sow these thoughts in there. Don't you think you ought to be? Don't you think they should have? Don't you think people ought to recognize? And they begin to tell you all sorts of stuff about yourself. And you believe it. Because, of course, it's true. You're full of wisdom. You're full of the Holy Spirit. You've got more talent. You've got more ability. You've been there. Every time they opened up those temple gates, you're there. You're inside. Why wouldn't they pick you? And the wrong attitude begins to seep in. And though you had been making strides, you can come down quickly. Bad attitude can seep in your life and drag you down faster than anything, can it? You can be going along, having a good old time, good old thing going on, and then all of a sudden someone says something, somebody does something, and you now have a bad attitude. And it's like the rest of the day is ruined. Okay, well, you just got exposed. I, I, need to, I need to be on guard against this bad attitude. I can't have that bad attitude and be in the area of ministry. I got to get rid of that. I'll put this in your outline for you. Ministry has no room for those who are self-qualified. Now, we're talking about this level of ministry. We're not talking about general ministry overall, but this level of ministry, you're going to get into this, this second level, has no room for people that are self-qualified. This is an area of ministry where people are appointed to. The other area of ministry, God can just come up in your heart and say, hey, go over here and do this. This area of ministry, people are appointed to it. And they're not appointed by God. They're appointed by men and women. People are appoint folks in this area of ministry. So in order for people to appoint them, you need to be known by them. You need to be out there doing some things. You need to let the Spirit of God flow through you. Have you ever seen people operate in areas of the Spirit? And as they operate, maybe they're on TV, maybe you've been in a meeting somewhere, and as they're operating in an area of the Spirit and things are going on, you're just beginning to think, something is just not right. 
It just doesn't, I don't know, it just, you're just picking up a wrong attitude, a wrong thing going on. Just, you, your spirit is unsettled with that. It could be somebody who was self-qualified put themselves into an area of ministry. Don't know it, but it could be. I put this in your outline for you. It is better to be ready and not be called upon than to be called upon and not be ready. But God, I was all ready. <laughs> Good. <laughs> it is better to be ready and not called upon than called upon and not ready. I learned this lesson. Brother Keith was sharing this. Brother Keith Moore was sharing some stuff. When God called him and Patsy uh, Beerman up to the, to the stage to do some uh, ministry after the service is over. And they looked at each other and said, well, what do you want to sing? I don't know. What do you want to sing? I'm not sure. What do, you, do you have anything on? And they were going back and forth on this. And Brother Hagin said to him, right there on stage, right there in front of all 2,000 people in the meeting. Well, if I knew it was going to take you this long, I wouldn't have called you. <laughs> and Brother Keith shared that story. He said, from there on out, we made sure we were ready. Because it is better to be ready and not called upon than called upon and not be ready. And then you just begin to, to learn how to just get yourself ready. Well, if, and he, he was. If Brother Hagin called on me, he had something ready. He had something to go. If Brother Hagin didn't, he was fine. He didn't get a bad attitude. There were some good lessons to be learned. Here's the other one. The third level, and those that need absolute trust and confidence. Now, we all would love for God to call on us for these particular things. But God cannot call on just anyone for these areas of ministry. Cannot do it. You need to qualify yourself. You need to purge the bad attitudes out. You need to fill yourself up with the Holy Spirit. And here's the thing. If God has put this particular call on your life and you don't get rid of the attitudes in stage one and two, you'll never reach here and you'll get to heaven and God says, this is what I call for you. You never prepared. You never got yourself ready. I couldn't entrust it to you. I had to go get somebody else. We just finished um, some time ago in the book of Kings, the study of Elijah. Elijah was a one that God called on to do some great things. When he had a, a hard word to deliver, when he had some spectacular things that needed to be done, Elijah was a guy you could call on. It's only one time we found that God got mad with him. It's when his attitude became poor. And he's up in this top area of ministry, very select, very, very much preparation to go in to get you into this place, and he got a bad attitude in it. And if you remember the discourse between him and God when he's over at the, at the place in the wilderness, the, the discourse they had, God says, hey, Elijah, I got 7,000 people that are ready to take your place. You want me to put them in your, your spot? I'll take you home right now. Take you out right now. You don't have to go anywhere. He's ready. Do not ever think you're irreplaceable. Because God, to God, you are not irreplaceable. He will use you in whatever ministry capacity you let him. But the moment you get a bad attitude, what happens? Judas was one of the twelve. He suddenly got a bad attitude. What happened with him? Saul was chosen by God to be the first king of Israel. And how did he become disqualified? He got a bad attitude. He got a bad attitude. Now, we talked last week about guidelines, that, and we talked about ministry, how you have guidelines, and just about every ministry here has, you know, we don't have a whole lot of guidelines, but we have about five, six, 
different guidelines for just about every area of ministry. And we've got to keep those things in mind. And we have to put ourselves into those things. Because if I don't learn how to put myself in the area of the guidelines of the ministry I'm at, how can God put me into a ministry in which no one is putting me under guidelines? How can, how can he do that? You have to get to the place where you self-discipline, where you self-judge, and you keep yourself in the guidelines that men have set up so that God says, I know I can trust that one to put them here. Because who set up guidelines for Moses? Who set up guidelines for Joshua when Joshua took over for Moses? Who set up guidelines for Elisha? Who set up guidelines for David? Who set up guidelines for Peter after Jesus went on? James. John. Who was standing over them telling them what they ought to do and what not to do? They had to get to a place to carry on that ministry to where God could speak to them directly and guide them. And didn't God do that with Peter? Didn't God on the top of that roof? Peter, I got something for you. And didn't Peter immediately respond? Tell you what, folks, that's a, that's a hard place to be at. And there have been people who have been put in those kind of ministries who did not self-discipline, did not self-judge, and got themselves into trouble. Paul talked about some of them that were under him. There were people, there were kings of Israel Jeroboam, hand-selected by God to be the first king of the northern tribes. And as soon as he gets in, he gets a bad attitude and falls. Just because you go through all the preparation, folks, does not mean you're invincible. You've got to realize that. You've got to realize, I can, I can fall. Something we didn't get into last week, there's a, there are guidelines. Guidelines is, are basically for an area of ministry. And it... it it, it takes care of a whole lot of different things. All the different things you face in that ministry, all the different things are going on. The guidelines are here, there to help you navigate through it. But there's also another area, that's instructions. Instructions are intended for a single event, whereas something like guidelines are, are involved in the ministry. Think of some of the times that instructions were given. When Moses was up on the mountain, he received instructions as to what to do when he first met the king or the, the pharaoh, right? That was not guidelines. There were instructions. One-time use. Go down to the pharaoh, take your staff, throw it on the ground, it'll turn into a snake. Put your hand in your bosom, it'll turn into leprosy. Put it back in, it's going to turn back again. He was given explicit directions on what to do when he first met. Joshua was given instructions what to do when he came to Jericho. It only worked for Jericho. The disciples were given instructions about what to do with the upper room. Go into town. You're going to find a man. All the different things they said they would find. And they did. And they followed the instructions. Instructions are meant for one simple operation. But guidelines are there to help you for an entire ministry. Each time that you're involved in that ministry, they're there to help you out with that. We've got to make sure we separate those two and under, understand but here are these three areas, three types of ministry. Those that will develop your attitude, get you out of a bad attitude, get you into a good attitude. Those that after you've been qualified some, you're, you're able to step in. But the higher up you move in these, once you go from stage one to stage two, 
and stage two to stage three, the higher up you go in these ministries, and there might be different levels in stage two, different levels in stage, all that sort of thing. The higher up you go, the more pressure is on you to lose joy, lose patience. All these things will come down upon you. If a guy like Elijah can despair of even being alive, Moses, look at all the preparation that went on to him, but Moses was going to face the wrath of the most powerful nation on the earth, all targeted against him. And then after he gets done that, he's going to be out in the wilderness with two to four million people, God's people, who are going to rise up how many times at the door of his tent ready to kill him. You get upset when two people at work don't like you. Right? We're talking... Everybody is up in your face. That's pressure. You've got to learn how to handle it. And Moses is going to come back. He's going to be one of the two witnesses. And wow, has he been prepared for this. Because what he's going to face, most of us would, would not even be able to do it. You don't know what God is preparing you for. So when you fall into depression, when you fall and lose patience, when you don't maintain your joy facing whatever it is that you're facing right now, how can you go on to what God has called you to do? To do? You aren't being prepared. Joseph, 17 years in preparation and had to maintain his attitude in slavery and in prison. How would you like that task? We see people who came through some, some stuff. Daniel, was forever exiled from his homeland. Never, never got to go back. But served foreign kings in atmospheres of idolatry. And he had to maintain what he was maintaining. That wasn't easy, but he was prepared for it. He got ready. So we saw in Acts 13, 2, as they ministered to the Lord and fasted, Holy Spirit said, Now separate to me Barnabas and Saul. They were already in ministry. They were doing some things in ministry, but now separate to me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Philip was one of the, the seven that was called. He moved into an office of an evangelist. Look what it says about Philip. Then Philip went down to the city of Samaria and preached Christ to them. And the multitudes with one accord heeded the things spoken by Philip, hearing and seeing the miracles which he did. This is, a, this is more than a guy watching over a food program. For unclean spirits crying with a loud voice came out of many who were possessed. And many who were paralyzed and lame were healed. And there was, a great, there was great joy in that city. But there was a certain man called Simon who previously practiced sorcery in the city and astonished the people of Samaria claiming that he was somewhat, someone great to whom they all gave heed from the least to the greatest saying, this man is the great power of God. And they heeded him because he had astonished them with his sorcery for a long time. But when they believed Philip as he preached the things concerning the kingdom of God, in the name of Jesus Christ, both men and women were baptized. So then Simon himself also believed. And when he was baptized, he continued with Philip and was amazed seeing the miracles and signs which were done. So get this. This sorcerer who amazed people with his sorcery, advertising as something from God, became amazed when Philip showed up and did actual miracles of God. That's how great the miracles of Philip were. We don't have all of them listed down there. We know Stephen moved into another area of ministry. 
says he was full of the faith and power and did great wonders and signs among the people. John, the disciple John, was trusted so much and he was, inclu- he was uh, given the revelation of the end times. Called up into heaven and given this revelation. Peter became the most prominent leader of the early church. But he had some development that had to get done, right? But he became, became a great leader for the early church. Let's go back over here to John Mark. This is somewhere around the fall of the 49 A.D., Best I could tell from the looking up I did. Now Barnabas was determined to take with them John called Mark, but Paul insisted that they should not take with them the one who had departed from them in Pamphylia and had not gone with them to the work. Then the contention became so sharp that they parted from one another, and so Barnabas took Mark and sailed to Cyprus, and Paul chose Silas and departed being commended by the brethren to the grace of God, and he went through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. So again, it's his nephew, probably feels a, a bond there to, to bring him along. And Paul says, no, I, don't, I feel no bond to this thing. And a lot of people have gotten on Paul for this. I think Paul was completely right. John was not ready for this. Now, if you wonder what happened to John and, and um, uh, Barnabas when they went on down, to, uh, they went down to one area and, they went, and Paul went up to the, the northern areas. But they went down. We never hear of Barnabas again, do we? The uh, Jewish tradition, some of the things we have passed down through this, is that Barnabas was killed on this missionary journey. Now, John Mark made it back. Imagine John Mark and Paul, or and Barnabas, going out in the ministry. Barnabas is killed. You think that would have an effect upon John Mark? If the other stuff scared him, now people are dying. Now, in the Colossians chapter 4, and verse 10, I wrote this in your outline. I saw everything from the late 50s to the early 60s uh, A.D. for when Colossians was written. Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, greets you with Mark, the cousin of Barnabas, about whom you received instructions. If he comes to you, welcome him. Now look at the Ark, Arist- Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, greets you with Mark, the cousin of Barnabas. How is Mark sending greetings in a letter with Paul? What would be required in order for that to happen? Wouldn't Mark have to be there? Hey, are you writing a letter? Hey, will you tell him I said hi? Have you ever done that? My wife does that to me. Sometimes she'll, she'll see I'm texting somebody, uh, note back. Oh, tell him I said hi. Right? Now, my wife says hi. I mean, sometimes it's somebody uh, in ministry that we know. Sometimes it's just my running buddy. You know, John sends me a text message. Hey, you want to go around today? I'd send him a note back, and she'll say, who are you texting? Oh, it's just John. And she'll say, how's his wife doing? How's your wife doing? <laughs> <laughs> you know, she, she sends a message. My wife says, sometimes I just say, my wife says, how's your wife doing? Oh, she's doing, and she'll, she'll say, and say, well, she says hi, and I'll pass that on. You ever done that to, to folks? You, 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 they're, they're writing a letter. And you just say, hey, will you tell him I said, this is what's happening. Mark's by there, and he's, uh, he's visiting Paul in prison. Or, the, uh, or over there in prison, or they're doing some things. It's a Roman imprisonment, one of the Roman imprisonments he was, he was involved with here. And Mark is coming to visit him. Now, Mark ran and, and turned tail and hid before. But now he's in Rome visiting Paul in prison. Think some changes has happened there? He got better. And he's over there with Paul. Paul's having some interaction with him. I bet you Mark probably came to Paul and said, Paul, I was wrong for abandoning you. I understand why you didn't want to take me again on that. I probably wouldn't have taken me either. I, uh, I left you in a bad spot and I hope you forgive me. Um, I fixed some of those things in my life and I, I think you'll see I'm more useful now. And I bet Paul said, good. 
Let's see. And I bet he put him to work because here he is. He's over there with him. Mark, the cousin of Barnabas, about whom you received instructions. If he comes to you, welcome him. He doesn't say, now watch out for this guy. <laughs> he doesn't say that. He says, welcome him. He says, uh, he's going to help you. He's going to do some things and help you out. Now, that was in the latest I got for this date is 62 A.D. But somewhere late 50s to 62 A.D., he wrote that. Then in 67 A.D., I only got one date for the second Timothy. Only Luke is with me. Get Mark and bring him with you, for he is useful to me for ministry. Now, a lot of times people focus on this and say, and Paul had a second uh, thoughts about Mark. But I, I read the Colossian one for you because years before, they're already together. And somehow, Mark was sent off. We saw that he was, he was, if he comes to you, he says to the folks in Colossians, if he comes to you, welcome him. So he wasn't just following after Paul. He was going different places. Paul was commissioning him, saying, Mark, go over here and do this. He was giving him commissions. He obviously had grown. He got his attitude fixed. And so Paul saw he got his attitude fixed. Let's use him. Let's do some things. Get Mark, bring him with with you, for he's useful to me for ministry. Maybe Mark sent him a letter. Maybe Mark sent him a letter. Hey, I finished that job he gave me over here. Let me know what else you want me to do. And he gets a vision of what he can do with Mark down to where he's at. He says, well, bring, bring Mark with you. Bring John Mark with you. So John got into ministry when he was not ready. But, Don, but he didn't just leave. He didn't just leave the ministry. He got prepared so he can get ready. The next time he was in there, he wouldn't be running Put this in your outline. It can be a hard thing to trust those over you to have your best interest in mind. That can be a tough thing for us to sometimes trust. That the people that are over us can actually see some things in our life that we don't see. And they're not given to certain things because they know we're not ready for it. These things aren't quite, quite there yet. We have to be careful of, of those kind of things. Because when you... When you serve God, you serve God by serving people. And God says, before you can get a ministry of your own, you have to be faithful in what is someone else's. And when you are faithful in what someone else's, there are going to be times that you have failures. There are going to be times that you do some things that aren't going to be, be so good. And you may not think them to be a failure. There's a situation I had one time in the, in the church I served as an assistant pastor. And there's often times that the Pastor was off, and I would take the service. And one particular time, I had the Sunday morning service. He was off. I don't know if he was on vacation or what he was doing. He was off, and ministry, things were going on in the church. And I felt there was, a, there was a block that was there. We just couldn't seem to get past it. And I felt God move me to do a certain thing to get us past that block. And there was a certain elder in the church, and he and I, we just didn't share. Uh, we weren't on the same page most of the time. And he stood up in the middle of the church service and basically rebuked me for what I was trying to do. So you have this kind of a tension going on. Now, this is about the middle of the service. We still have the rest of the service to get through. <laughs> and so I dealt with it the best I could up there. went on the rest of the service. After the service is over, I called him. I said, come, come over to my office. You see, he was an elder as the assistant pastor. I don't answer to him. He thought I did. I answer to the pastor, but I don't answer to him. So he, I called him into the office as uh, we talked about what was going on, and 
he told me why he did it, and we had that discussion. Afterwards, you know, we, we split up, and he went his way, and I went my way. And, uh, and that was it. Well, apparently he went on from there, and he had meetings with this one and meetings with this one. When the pastor got back, he had meetings with them, and suddenly I was called before the elders and the senior pastor and reamed out for the things that I did in there. Now, I could have been wrong. I could, it, did, it didn't matter whether I was right or wrong. What mattered was if I did something that the senior pastor didn't want to do, I need to change it. I didn't try and defend what it was that I did. But, uh, but, but I looked at the, the, the pastor took time to meet with everybody except me. And I didn't even know what anybody was meeting. All he would have had to do, our offices were right, right across from each other. All he had to do was come over and knock on my office and say, Steve, I heard some things, what happened? Tell me what happened. I would have told him what happened. He says, if he would have just said, don't do it again. Okay? <laughs> That's all there is to it. If my opinion is different from the senior pastor, I don't care if I got it from God. It's wrong. Because I'm there to do, I'm there to assist him. I'm there to help him out. That's what had to happen. So that's, uh, we went on from there and I learned some things and, and uh, learned some things not to do, learned some things to do. These kind of things will, will happen. But, I had to understand, who, who do you serve? If God puts you underneath someone to serve, then what do you do? Until God gives you a ministry of your own, which won't happen for everyone, but until God does that, you do what they ask you to do. And you do it with a good attitude. If you do, you can move on to, God says, you know what? I got you called for this. Or maybe I didn't have you called for this, but the person who is called faltered. You're, you're my go-to person. Glory to God for being the go-to person. Put this in your outline for you. You can write this down. Attitude in ministry is more important than talent, training, and even results. That may be hard to swallow right at first. but it's, Attitude in ministry is more important than talent, training, and even results. I don't care if you get outstanding results. If you have a bad attitude, you will damage more people than help. Attitude is huge. You've got to get the right attitude. It doesn't always mean that you're nice to people. Jesus was not always nice to people. He's a guy you can look at for, for attitude. All right, dig into this part real quick. The more, you depend upon, the more you are dependent upon a ministry, the less room there is for bad attitudes. You've got to understand that. If you start getting more and more dependent on it and you start letting a bad attitude come in, it is far worse for you than it would have been otherwise. Now, I'm going to give you a couple of bad attitudes here. Just went through this A, B, C, D, E, F. Right on, right on down. First one, there's no room I couldn't put them in your outline. Here's the first one, angry. That is a bad attitude in ministry. Now, the Word of God does say be angry and do not sin. All right, you can you can be angry, just don't sin. Make sure you get into the Word of God. But a lot of times we just get angry, just get mad. Second one, bitter. There's no room for bitterness in ministry. You can't hold things over from one day to another. You got to be able to let them go. Paul let go the disappointment that John Mark left him with. And we see that uh, he picked him up real well. 
See, critical. Critical people, folks. It's, you can't go very high in ministry if you are going to be constantly critical of the people that are around you. Can't do it. D, depressed. <laughs> Have we got some folks yes or no? You could probably put all kinds of... I'm not even saying it's a bad one. I'm not giving you all the attitudes. If you came up with one that that's not on my list, it's probably a bad attitude. You're probably right. It's, I just didn't put it on. I didn't try and do all of them. Dear Lord, how long be here writing? We wrote down all the bad attitudes, huh? Depressed. You cannot, as a leader, bring depression into the group. If you bring depression into the group, you affect everyone. You've got to be depression-proof. <laughs> you've got you to learn how to, you got to keep maintaining that joy. If you can't maintain the joy under someone else's ministry, how are you going to maintain it when you're on your own? Because it's a whole lot harder. Next one, egotistic. Or if you want to put in the parentheses, self-absorbed. You cannot be, you have got to be completely others-minded the higher you move up in ministry. Jesus even said this, you want to become greatest? Become the servant of all. That's where you got to be. Now here, this one, you can, I, there's, there's a couple, you, F, so many things for it. You could put fear here, because fear is a bad attitude, isn't it? Fear is a, is a bad attitude. You cannot be fearful. But here's one that I, I wrote down. Fault finding. If you are, how many of you like to have a boss who constantly goes around and finds fault with everything you do? Does that make you want to work for that boss? Does that make you think that boss has your best interest in mind? Stop being fault finding. Because what happens, the enemy comes in whenever we are working with people and he tells us what they're doing wrong. <laughs> Hasn't he ever told you that? He tells us what they're doing wrong. And it's easy for us to spot, just like when I'm driving in my car, I can spot easily all the mistakes everybody else is making. Case in point, when did it stop being illegal to cross intersection, to cross lanes in an intersection? I don't, it has to have stopped sometime. How many times are you driving out there and people cross the lane in the middle of the intersection? Right there in the middle, just cross right on over. Gets me frustrated. One of the greatest places you will see this, one of the biggest accident prone, is up right by my neck of the woods, five points intersection, 309, 463, and the old 202 all come together. 309, two lanes turn left, which means the outside left-hand turn lane goes into the farthest lane on 309, and the inside goes to the inside lane. How many times I have been on the the, the, the one lane and the person's over here, they're making a left-hand turn and they go across the intersection into my lane. Where am I supposed to go? <laughs> right? What am I supposed to do? I got no place else to go. You got other place. I can't go anywhere. <laughs> it's dangerous. It's so easy for us to see where other people are at fault. But it's hard for us to see our own. Don't be fault-finding. It's not a good place for, for a leader. It's not a good place for, for good attitudes to be developed. Now, we all have these things going on in our life. We all have some bitterness still. We all have some criticalness that still comes to, uh, crops up. We all have some times we're battling depression. We all got some times we're self-centered, thinking about ourselves, we're fault-finding on other people. 
We got those things, that, but they have to begin to become less and less and less and less until they are eventually completely eradicated. They have to be going down. Here's the thing that you need to watch out for. If you have been taking these bad attitudes and making them get less and less and less, and all of a sudden, one of them starts to pop up. Bitterness begins to surface like you hadn't dealt with bitterness before. Anger, uh, depression, all these. If one of these things begins to soar after you spent some time and it's gotten, gotten better, it's getting down, something is wrong. It's like watching their car thing and you, you see the, the temperature meter. You know, the temperature meter is supposed to stay in the middle, right? What happens when it starts to go to the right? Oh, man, we got a problem. We got a problem. We got to take care of this problem now. Let that be alert to you. I've got a problem. Somehow my joy has been affected. Somehow my peace has been affected. What does a Christian do when the dial on your, your, your dashboard begins to say, warning, warning? What do you do when that begins to happen? Well, I'm going to say that for next week. Because we've got to know how to, how to fix this. We've got to know how to take care of it. Because these are the things that keep you out of ministry. It is not people. People are not keeping you out of ministry. It is the attitudes in ourselves. Because you cannot contain the gift of God. But you can squash it with bad attitudes. Would you all stand up with me? Father, we know bad attitudes have tried to get a hold of us in the past. Sometimes they have. Sometimes even now we have a bad attitude knocking at our door and seems to be rising. Lord, you want to help us. We've got so many people in the Word of God who have overcome these things. We've got some who did not. We want to follow after the people who overcame. We want to follow after the people that you were able to use, who grew in their submission to you, that whenever you spoke something, they did it, and they had a good attitude about it the whole way. Father, I thank you for the growth that we will experience if we stay focused on these things. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Praise God. Well, we got some praise reports. I saw a few of them come in. Anybody uh, didn't finish writing yours up? Okay. Um, praise report first, and then a very fast. But Sharon um, sold her car yesterday. Praise the Lord. We knew we were praying for that one. Um, and then you need to take the bomb because Sharon and Joe are leaving for Trinidad this week. On Wednesday. On Wednesday. Okay. How long will you be there? Two weeks. Two weeks. All right. We'll be praying for their travel there. Um, Jolly and Mercy said Jolly Jr. won election to the school student council last week as vice president. Great God. Keep him in prayer for godly wisdom and direction. <coughs> you keep waiting. <laughs> Um, the next one, Jolly and Praise have finally ended their season's marching band events coming in fifth out of 11 at yesterday's national competition in New York. We can take a jolly good old break now. <laughs> it's, it's hard, you know, traveling around with the kids like that. Amen, I remember. Um, Chelsea said, at the beginning of this week, the enemy was trying hard to steal my joy, and it felt like he was being successful, but God sent, <coughs> sent family and friends to sow love into my life and reminded me of the power of praising, especially when you don't feel like it. So, I praised him in the morning and my joy was so full I smiled for no reason and felt like dancing. 
I don't think I've ever had the impulse to dance in my life. Really? You're not a dancer? Oh, so even though all my fellow teachers have told me to expect depression, frustration, and exhaustion, the joy of the Lord is my strength. Amen. Amen. Nick says, I praise God for his faithfulness. He gave us his word. He gave us his will. His will is good, and he walks before us in all things. And all of our battles he has won for us. The victory is ours because of him. I have passed my second exam of the semester because of him. I, have <clears throat> I am healed because of him, and I am protected because of him. I am provided for because of him. Because of him, all things are taken care of, and all the praise goes to him. Amen. 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 <laughs> um, Tony Morris has a prayer, uh, praise report. She said she now has a... a um, social worker who was working for her as opposed to the last one who wasn't doing much for her. Amen. Amen. Working on her behalf. Susan says, praising God that another neighbor is taking care of her snow and shovel, snow removal and shoveling. Amen. Also, my new neighbors are very nice, quiet, and considerate. Praise God. And, of course, my praise report. <laughs> I have two. My biggest one is sitting right over there. I'm so grateful to have him home. It was very much a surprise, and I was very thankful that, uh, you know, he was able to come home before going to his duty station, so got to spend some time with him. But I'm so grateful for the word that you gave this morning, because, you know, I love how the Holy Spirit talks to us. And last week I had um, in my heart this word, and I shared it with Pastor just briefly, but the word cooperate kept coming <coughs> up in my heart, bless you, during the worship time last week and during his message. And even today, um, cooperating with the Holy Spirit, so many times we get bad attitudes because we do exactly what they did in the garden. We submit to the devil. We submit to his deception. We submit to things that he tries to tell us as opposed to what the Word of God says, as opposed to listening to what the Spirit of the Lord is telling us, that the Word is true, that God is for us. And if God is for us, who can be against us? Like that song we were singing today, it just blessed me so much. There is nothing the enemy can do to us or against us unless we allow him. Unless we allow him. Right? God says, Jesus said, I thank my God always that he hears me. He hears me. And if I ask anything, now here's the clincher to this. A lot of times we take scripture and we take it just a little bit and think, well, I can apply that here. If I ask anything according to his will, not mine, according to his will, then I know I have the petition I've asked for. Amen? It's a three weeks was trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will direct your path. Amen? Acknowledge him. That means in seeking a job, and seeking where to go, how even to pray. You know, God, how do I pray about this situation? I'm acknowledging you. I'm giving this to you because I don't know. You're the only one who knows. You are the author and the finisher. You are the one who said you would complete the work that you started in me, in my life. I want to walk that path. We say that the steps of a righteous man are ordered to the Lord, but if we're not listening... If we're not submitting ourselves to him and saying, Lord, I want to follow your way. I want to follow the Holy Spirit and let him lead me. I'll tell you, my prayer life has changed. I've been, been getting ready over the summer and, and we started prayer school. 
you know, and my prayer life has changed. He's changed the way that I've been praying for things because before I pray, I submit to him and I ask him, how do I handle this? How do I pray? Where is the end? Like Pastor said today and like, like Nat said this morning, we don't know where we're going to be 10 years from now, but he does. And I want to get to that place the easiest way I can. I just want to share this real quick about um, Rick Renner. He was talking about how being in Moscow now, everybody comes to visit, <coughs> and they all want to go see the Kremlin. And he said, you know, I have been there so many times because of taking everybody. He says, I can give you a better guided tour than the paid tour guides that are there. And he says, I know the quickest way to get to from point A to point B and see everything that you're going to want to see in one day as opposed to going through the tours that they give you and you won't accomplish it all. He says, I know that when you come in and you go a certain direction, all the ladies are going to be saying, if they don't stop to the bathroom now, they're going to be coming upstairs and go, oh, i got to come all the way back downstairs and waste time. He says, I know how to get there. That's the Holy Ghost. He's been in our future. He knows where we're going. And he can tell us the best and easiest route to get there. So in my prayer time, I have changed it all. I mean, I love the way that the Holy Spirit has been just showing me, lining up scripture and saying, okay, you, if you pray that way, that's all right, but you're limiting the way that God can move for you. Let's turn it around and pray this way. Let's use this scripture. We'll get there faster. And we'll get the, the desired result. Amen? We know we're living in the last of the last days. There's no time to fool around. There's no time to, to get allow the enemy to deceive us. We've got the word of truth. We've got the Holy Spirit on the inside. And the two of them cooperating together will lead us to victory. That's my praise today. We've got the, like Brother Hagin should say, inside information. I'm so... Uh, and I encourage people to come up. If you've had something in your life that maybe something in your past that has been holding you back. Maybe something that was said this morning where you're seeing that bitterness or deception or anger even is, is holding you back or is giving you a bad attitude and you want prayer. Why well, should you come up today and just allow the Lord to, to get rid of that from you, to put it under the blood and, and get you facing forward, going forward in your life. Amen? going forward in the things that God has for you. Because we know the last days, there's so much that's going on right now. There is an all-out frontal assault against Christians. But we're prepared, aren't we? We can't allow this bitterness. We can't allow anything that's contrary to to God to um, hold us back. So if that's you this morning, if something that Nas said this morning really hits your heart and you want to come up for prayer, come on up. We want to go forward in the things of God. Amen? Amen. If there was a promise that you had that you think maybe God didn't answer it or didn't answer it the way you thought he should, come on up. Let's put it under the blood and let him, let him cleanse you. Amen?